Second Corinthians chapter 12, and I just realized I don't have my microphone on. You'll have to um, excuse a few things. We had a great family reunion this last three, four days, and um, I'm anxious to see how long it will take Marilyn and I to recover from it, all right? It was all good, it's just... Um, we don't have the energy we used to have, all right? But uh, at any rate, we're, we're thankful for God's goodness and His abundance of blessings. When, when I was in high school, we had the privilege, I called it a privilege, we had the privilege, thank you both, of having my grandfather um, come live with us, and as I look back on it, it really was a, it was a trial for my mom and dad. Um, Grandpa Kramer was 100% German, and his family, (laughs) his family was taken moved by Catherine the Great to Odessa to teach the Russians how to farm. He was born in 1898, and Odessa, as you know now, is part of the Ukraine. Right before he turned 18, he went to the port at Odessa and wanted to get on a ship to America to avoid the impending draft into what um, was all surrounding World War I. At the port, he was one dollar short of having enough money to board the ship, and he frantically ran up and down the dock begging for money, and he got just enough money, and he just made it on just before they pulled up the gangplank and and set sail. And by himself came to the New World and um, settled in southern Minnesota with other German immigrants and um, eventually ended up in North Dakota, suffered financial, huge financial losses, ended up in the state of Washington working in sawmills. And um, he came to live with us when he was about 95, 96 years old. And I said it was somewhat of a trial for my parents. We had a backyard. It wasn't a big backyard. And we had a garden on the end of it. Well, in his mind, it's nonsense to have yard that's not all garden. So he and his daughter, my mother, would go, no, we have plenty. When they would be gone, he would take a spade out and he would dig up all along the row of the garden and turn over the dirt and slowly he was increasing the garden. (laughs) 
You know, Germans, stubborn, it doesn't matter what you tell them, they're going to they're gonna do it their way. Where's the amen on that, huh? <laughs> so, there are several things that Grandpa's life influenced me in. One of them, he would read his Bible much. And in his Bible, every time he read a chapter, he'd just put a mark there. And it was interesting, when you look at his Bible, there'd be many marks, and he'd read through his Bible. But when you came to the, to the genealogies in Chronicles, there was one mark. <laughs> but I guess he didn't feel he needed to know that, all right? And, and he was diligent in reading the Word. But another thing that he did to occupy his time in the cold northwest Iowa winters, he'd do jigsaw puzzles. And I can still picture him there. He'd tap his fingers like this while he's looking. And he didn't really whistle. He just... It wasn't a whistle and kind of a hum, kind of a whistle. And he'd patiently... He'd patiently do, do that, and I'd come along and I'd look at it and try to find a piece, and I couldn't find a piece, or if I did, it was rare, and, and I, I just didn't have the patience for it, okay? But every once in a while, he'd say, Dennis, grab me the, the box cover, and he'd get it up there and he'd set it up there, and of course, you know why. He wanted to see the big picture here. He wanted to see what are all these pieces of the puzzle supposed to look like. And then he'd get that in his mind and he'd go back to putting it together. And I don't know how many of those that that he put together. But sometimes people look at life And they see all these pieces and they see all these stages of life even broken down into more minute pieces and they never see the big picture. They never see the the lid to the box. They never see this is what it's supposed to look like. And, And today in our series on suffering, we want to try to help you and equip you with, with four things that when suffering comes into your life, or even in any aspect of life, God's dealings in our lives, that we can say, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what God is trying to accomplish. You remember the, the definition that Elizabeth Elliot gave for suffering that we took as basic foundational. She said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Now, that covers a wide range of things, all right? Um, 
Our grandkids weren't suffering this week, okay? They had free, free range to all the treats and candy and everything, much to the chagrin of their parents, all right? And um, they're either going to be bouncing off the wall today or fast asleep. One of the grandkids told his dad, I'm tired. He said, do you need a nap? I'll get it this morning in the service, all right? <laughs> Just to narrow it down, most of you know this kid too, all right? So, But suffering, you know, to some it, it is. You get a thorn in your foot, it causes suffering. But that's on the minor end. There is great, great suffering. And Elizabeth Elliot, who first husband was a martyr to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. She lost two other husbands through cancer, um, endured many, many things in her life. And, and she said this, suffering comes in many forms with a wide range of intensities, but suffering is never for nothing. We've already looked in previous weeks at sources of suffering. But today we want to help you understand suffering is never for nothing. That God has a purpose and, and these aren't... Um, Limited to these purposes here today, but we want to look from some of what Paul gave us in 2 Corinthians that talks much about suffering and see what we can learn in it. So God uses suffering to accomplish many purposes. You notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, After Paul says he's had this great experience, uh, he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. I was caught up. I saw things that I can't even explain. And you talk about a person that that had great um, mountaintop experiences. I mean, Paul's salvation was extraordinary. And the experiences that he had. And, and yet, he says in verse 7, And just in case that I would not be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." One of the first things, purposes that God uses suffering is to humble us. God places a premium on humility. In James chapter 4, it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs 15:33, before honor is humility. And God often will use suffering to bring humility in our lives. And this is exactly what Paul said. 
I'm not going to go into detail about the thorn in the flesh uh, of what it may be, may have been, but this was something that Paul specifically identified so that I wouldn't be exalted, so I wouldn't be puffed up in my own way and my own thinking. God allowed this into my life, and it was used to humble me. God's goal in the life of every believer is our humility. Humility is the ultimate virtue. Pride is the ultimate sin. All sins stem from pride. And God wants to go to the root of our sin and deal with our pride. He uses suffering to break us of our self-reliance. I mean, we read earlier... uh, in, in Corinthians, where he said, I, I was buffeted to the point of despair that I despaired even of my own life. It was beyond my strength. It was beyond what Paul could handle. Many times we say, God will never give you more than you can handle. It depends what you're talking about. God will give you more than you can handle. But He will never give you more than you can handle with God's grace. It is beyond us. It is beyond our strength. And oftentimes He'll lead us to a situation that we are at the end of ourselves. And I can't handle this. I can't figure this out. I don't have the answer. I don't have the strength. And it brings us to a point of humbling. It brings us to a point to break our self-reliance. It brings us to a point to reveal our spiritual condition. I mean, when the pressure's on, what's inside us comes out. And sometimes what comes out is not very befitting of what we want to come out. And we say, oh, I let that slip. Well, let it slip or whatever. It reveals what we are, and that is a humbling process. And we oftentimes rebel against it or are are pushed away from it, but God delights in humility. He he brings the suffering, it creates the pressure, it brings a a test of our faith. Not testing it so God knows, it's testing it to reveal what our faith is is and often what it is not. It's it's pretty natural for us to have an elevated view of our own righteousness, an elevated view of our growth. And God often uses suffering to give us an accurate view, to to bring humility into our life. And and often our responses 
reveal much about our spiritual condition. Do we believe a God enough that in the midst of this suffering we will respond to it right? Or we'll get in in future weeks and look at wrong responses to suffering, and it all comes back to not believing God. But often God uses this to humble us. Warren Wearsby said, A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And if you'll look in your spiritual life, often periods of suffering have been periods, and they are great opportunities for growth. And as a result of that, God uses growth and suffering in tandem together. It's, it's really hard to find the two of those separated and producing the growth in us. So God uses suffering to humble us. So when suffering, whatever the realm is, whether as a child, sometimes you think, man, I am suffering. I've got the meanest parents in the world. They won't let me do this and they won't let me do that and they make me do this. And you may think, I am suffering. Why would God do this in my life? Well, first of all, ask, God, how do you want me to embrace humility in this? Secondly, in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, My grace is sufficient for thee. God uses suffering not only to humble us, but secondly, to draw us to himself. Paul responded, this thorn in the flesh, what did he do? Did he go to court? No. Did he go to his friends and neighbors and say, poor me, look what's happening to me? Did he go to his church? He immediately went to the Lord. And God uses suffering as an opportunity to draw us to him. Three times he continued to go before the Lord. And God uses suffering to draw us to himself. John 15:5 Without me ye can do nothing. It's not in meanness God says I'm going to I'm going to be mean to them and make them come to me. It's out of his love that he says they don't realize how desperately they need me and I want them to realize how desperately they need me and so I'll bring them to the point of suffering in their lives, and his purpose in that is to make us draw near to him. And this is where the battle goes on. If God loves me, why is he doing this to me? I'm done with him. Or, here is a, here is a problem in my life. Here is a suffering that may have come from no decision we made, and, and it is something that I need God now more than ever. We just sang, Lord, I need you. 
When the seas of life are calm, O oh Lord, I need you. When the winds are blowing strong. And God often uses suffering to cause us to see how desperately we need Him to draw us to Himself. And yet often in our suffering, we want an explanation. Why is this happening? As we mentioned two weeks ago, with Job's suffering, in our suffering, we want an explanation, but Jesus wants to give us a revelation, a revelation of himself. The answer is not a why, the answer is who. It's Jesus Christ. And he wants every suffering in this world, you will have tribulation. What does it make you do? Be mad at the world, cynical, bitter, angry? Or does it drive us to God and a dependence upon God? Augustine said, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. See, we want the good without what it takes to get there. And God often chooses suffering to show us another aspect of Himself, to help us to know His nature. We learn about the nature of God through suffering. And we need to be asking, okay, God, what is it you are trying to teach me about Yourself? And we need to immediately be going to God continually but even more so in the midst of our suffering. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing as happiness and peace separated from God. And so God wanting to help us to know His very best and to know His nature uses the vehicle of suffering to drive us to the heart of God. Every every aspect of suffering has a purpose. So, to humble us, to draw us to Himself, and to make us usable. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, We read earlier, the comfort with which you have been comforted, you are now able to go and comfort others also. God uses suffering in our lives to make us usable, to teach us the nature of God, so that then, as we have learned the nature of God, as we have experienced His comfort, His sufficient grace, then we are able to go and share the nature of God, share the comfort of His grace with others that we couldn't do unless we had endured the suffering. We have received comfort so that we can comfort others. It's there to develop Christ-likeness in us. It is there to prepare us for what we know is coming, what God knows is coming. And he says, you need to be strengthened. 
You need to be developed. You need to have the roots of your faith go down. And it is through this suffering. In the summer of 1976, um, There was a young man that lived on North 8th Street here in Sheraton. And every day, regardless of the weather, every day except Sunday, this young man would go north on 8th Street, go down Ilian Avenue, go out to Reynolds Field, and would run quarter miles, half miles, miles, half miles, quarter miles, and and then, um, after lengthily doing that, would then try to make it up the Ilian Avenue Hill back to North 8th Street. And the only reason I did that is because I knew soccer season was coming, and I didn't have anybody to play soccer with here in in Sheraton. They didn't even, I don't know if they knew how to spell it back then, all right? But I thought, I I can't play soccer, but I at least can be in shape preparing me for what I knew I was going to face. But I I had to force myself to go. It, It was suffering. I didn't like it, but I endured it because of what I knew was going to be coming. There are things God brings in our lives because He knows we're going to need it. He knows what is coming. And not only that, He is using it to prepare us and He is using it in our lives so that we can be a blessing to others. So see, suffering is not about me. God is using it for us to get our eyes off ourselves and on the needs of others. It's designed to chisel us, to knock out of our lives the things that won't be helpful and put into our thing, our lives the beauty of God, the glory of God, until He can brilliantly and brightly show in our lives. So, God uses suffering to humble us. God uses suffering to draw us to Himself. In Paul's life, he used it to make him usable, the comfort he received to comfort others also. He was now writing to the church at Corinth with, I received this thorn in the flesh, but I'm here now writing to tell you that God's grace is sufficient. So it made him usable to others. And then in verse 9, He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God uses suffering to glorify Himself. Paul said, I learned that when I am weak, humbled, when I am weak, Then I am strong, and it's that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That that God would be glorified. That that I'd be able to say, wow, that is God's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. That 
God would be magnified, that God's nature would be seen, and that He would be glorified. God seeks to use every event in our lives for His glory and for our gain. So every event, every suffering that you have had in your life, it doesn't matter if if it came from the choices someone else made, if it came from your choices, if it just came from the cursed world that we live in. Every event, every suffering in your life, God desires to use it to magnify His name, to show His power, to show His wisdom, to work in our lives, to give us His grace, and to show us the goodness of God. And so, the issue is not the circumstances. You have heard it said, life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. So the issue is not the suffering. And, and we've gone over some of the sources of suffering. But we may not ever know the reason why we have this suffering in our life. But we can go through and say, is this a part of the piece of the puzzle? God, how do you want to use this in my life to humble me? God, how do you want to use it in my life to teach a greater dependence on you? It's so easy for us all to, to get self-dependent, self-reliant. God, how do you want to use this in my life and fill my toolbox up so that you can use me in the lives of others? So I can be an instrument usable in your hand. And God... How do you want to use this in my life to glorify you? And Paul said, I now rejoice in this suffering. It wasn't removed from him. And and he was rejoicing because God's power is being seen. So let me just quickly make three applications from, from this. Number one. Suffering is never without a purpose. If we do not see life with God behind it and in it and through it, we are practical atheists. If if you don't see God in it, okay, God, you have a purpose. As Elizabeth Elliot said, suffering is never for nothing. God has a purpose in it. And we have to see Him in it. As, as you've been seeing in the Sunday night studies, and, and it's incredible um, how God is putting this together. Tonight's lesson goes right along with this. But it's not the God of the already and the God of the hereafter. It is also the God of now. And in the nitty-gritty of a cursed life, of difficult things coming in life, to see God in it and say, okay, God, I submit to you, I want your purposes. I wouldn't have chosen this suffering. I didn't want it. 
I couldn't avoid it. But God, I am now submitting to you. I want you to accomplish your purposes. Suffering is never without a purpose. Secondly, God is always at work in my life for good. See, this ought to change our view of suffering. To embrace it for good. To embrace humility. To run to God. To prepare to be used. And to ultimately bring praise to God. Okay, God. I didn't want this, but work your purposes in it. I'm running to you now. I'm willing to submit this to you. How do you want to use this? By me owning this and allowing you to work, I'm willing to share this failure or this suffering with others to the glory of you. God doesn't work to simply disappoint our hopes but to build our souls. It's not, like, it's not like God's just walking around, make them suffer, make them suffer. It all has a purpose to build our souls, to bring us to the heart of God, to know God. And then thirdly, the only way to have victory in suffering or life, because all of life involves suffering, But the only way to have victory and suffering in life is through complete and utter dependence upon the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for thee. And the initial steps of God's grace are the grace that we receive for the forgiveness of sin. But we often leave God's grace there and it is a... a, It is the pinnacle of God's grace that He loved us. We are saved by grace. That He sent His only Son to pay the penalty for our sin. That's all grace. That He rose again victorious to conquer sin and death and hell and Satan. That's all grace. But it is the grace that saves us and gives us life. And it is now that we are a child of God, His grace that will equip us, that every day we ought to be saying, God, I need Your grace. God, I need Your strength. God, I need Your wisdom. Lord, I need You. And and to, to understand that if I resist His grace, If I frustrate His grace, Paul said, I labored more abundantly than the others so that I did not frustrate His grace. If I neglect His grace, His grace is given in vain. If I neglect His grace, so here I am, a situation comes into my life that is beyond me. And God promises that He gives His grace. So every... Every situation is life in life is accompanied, if you please, by a dump truck backing up. Beep, beep, beep. And he's dumping a load of grace. But we have to appropriate that grace. The grace doesn't do any good if you don't apply it in your own life. 
And you'll never be able to stand before God and say, God, this situation came into my life and you didn't give me the grace. And God will go back and say, there was a pile of grace right there, but you chose to neglect it. You chose to resist it. You wouldn't humble yourself. You chose to frustrate the grace of God. All those are biblical terms related to the grace of God. And that's why many people go on And they become bitter and angry with suffering because they never appropriated the grace of God. Either they have never accepted the grace of God to become a child of God, so they don't have the strength to respond to suffering. And everyone in life suffers. Or they have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins, trusting Him for eternity, but somewhere along the line we start doing it in our own efforts, in our own strength, and we don't appropriate the grace of God in our life. We don't have time to go into that. But it's our response to these situations in life. Suffering is never without a purpose. And God is always at work in my life for good for his glory for my good and the only way to have victory in life is through complete and utter dependence on the grace of God if we resist his grace suffering will certainly lead to adverse circumstances but as we submit to his grace We are able to respond like Paul, the power of Christ will rest upon me and his glory will be seen in me and he will be magnified and I will love him more as a result. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work in us. And Lord, if if there are individuals here that have never accepted and trusted the grace of you for the forgiveness of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray today they would cease resisting and call upon you. And Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers, Lord, you you alone know the situations in life. And as we sang earlier, When the seas of life are calm, Lord, it's easy for us to become self-reliant then. I pray that we would truly embrace humility. I pray that we would pursue you and run to you. And Lord, I pray that you would make us usable in your hand to be used to comfort others also to the glory of you. So Lord, accomplish your purposes. Help us to be encouraged in the battles of this life because you are at work. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.